Let's get started. All right, announcements are up there. I don't know what day the Royals game is. That's your parents. It's September 2nd? Is it really? It's September 2nd. There you go, September the 2nd. And yeah, Bible conference is coming up like a month away, a little over a month away. Oh, this is the wrong notes. I looked at this and it had August the 9th on it. I'm like, was I just really tired last night and I typed the wrong thing? Definitely my Wednesday night teaching notes. Maybe nervous for a second that I didn't have my notes with me. But here they are. Don't worry. Uh, Bible conference. They're doing it different this year. They're going to do Wednesday through Sunday instead of Sunday through Wednesday. So we'll start in the middle of the week and then go till Sunday morning. And then church cleaning, which y'all missed yesterday. It was a good old... It was a good old time yesterday. Yeah. Well, so I have it set where I send an email every Friday morning, so everybody just kind of should expect the emails to come Friday morning. Well, I could add you to the email list. Well, then that's not going to help if you if you don't get emails. Well, you can just know every Friday, check your email. I ain't doing all that. No, I ain't doing all that. Okay. Uh, open your Bible, Second Timothy. Come on, Claire. All right, so we were doing principles of Bible study. Been doing that for a few weeks, several weeks maybe. Uh, so last time we covered, or the last two classes we covered uh, dispensations. Uh, so we've covered dispensations, divisions, uh, first mention. Context. Uh, if somebody has their notes, they can look at. There's, I think there's one more that I'm missing. I can't remember what other one we did. Dispensations, divisions, first mention, context. I don't know. There's probably another one. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time recapping dispensation since we record things now. We don't. I don't have to go back and give you all the details. But it has been a couple weeks. So uh, just to recap quickly, Second Timothy 2:15. That's our theme verse. What'd you say? Okay. Uh, that's our theme verse for this study. It says, "Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." And so we're talking about how to study the Bible, why we should study the Bible, uh, some tools to help us study the Bible, and uh, how important it is to be a student of the Word of God. Uh, that verse tells us that, that a student of the Word of God will rightly divide the Word of Truth. So we talked about that when we talked about dispensations. If a student of God will rightly divide it, that implies that there is also a wrong way to divide it. And so we've looked at divisions and dispensations, which is kind of two different ways to look at look at uh, the divisions in the Bible. And, uh, yeah, without recapping all of that, basically with, with dispensations, 
what was like the key thing about dispensations? Why do we call it dispensations? There's a way to explain it that ties in with the word dispensation. Anybody remember? Claire immediately put her head down. Dispensations is the way that God dispenses... Huh? Did you say patience? No. Another Bible word. Grace. Yeah, the way that he dispenses his grace differently. So... I have heard it described as a Pez dispenser. So Brett Bartlett has a uh, method of describing it. So like he talks about how the Pez, the, think about each of the dispensations as its own. You guys know what Pez dispensers are, right? With the different heads on them or whatever. Okay. So he has like a different Pez dispenser for each of the seven dispensations with a different symbol. So I think the first one, uh, I think this. Oh yeah, he, if you listen to the, um, the Theology Roundtable podcast, he has, I think the the first dispensation the, uh, is the snake, maybe, and then the second one, I can't remember what they all are. One of them's an arc, one of them's a cross. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same thing. He just went further and like gave you visuals for each of the different the Pez dispensers. But yeah, it's the same thing. So salvation is always God's grace, our putting our faith in what God said uh, and his grace to save us. But it looks different. It looked different for Abraham than it did for Moses. It looked different for Moses than it does for us. Uh, so that's what we talked about over the last few weeks. Other than actually the last two weeks, we haven't had regular class. Last week we talked about camp recaps. week before that was Fabulous Fist. So we didn't have class, so it's been three weeks. Uh, since we covered that, but that's what we, cov- we covered then. So, um, okay. So today we're going to be talking about taking the Bible literally. Uh, literally. So, uh, taking the Bible literally. Uh, the kind of the idea of this one is take the Bible literally until it's impossible to do so, and. Um, so another thing that we say sometimes is before you determine what it means, read what it says. That's kind of a general rule for Bible study. But before trying to figure out what the passage is talking about or how we can interpret this or how we can apply it to our life or what God might be trying to teach us from it, just read what the verse says. Because the verse, uh, generally speaking, the Bible will uh, explain itself. Just read the, read the words on the page uh, before we try to figure out what it says. Flip to uh, Titus, just one or two pages over from where you're at. Titus chapter 1. So, an important element of uh, being able to take the Bible literally is uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Someone want to read that? It's going to drive Brenda crazy that we're not reading verse 1. I mean, yeah, it is. All right, somebody read Titus 1, 2, yeah. Okay, so the Bible is written by God who cannot lie, okay? Which I think we all know that, but um, if that wasn't true, like if, if God could lie, then we it's the same kind of problem that we would have with um, being able to understand whether or not the Bible is perfect and preserved. So, if, if God's word is perfect, which I believe it is, 
even if there's like one contradiction in the Bible or one uh, false statement in the Bible, uh, that that could throw into question all of the Bible, right? I mean, if, if you could find one contradiction, it's like, well, this part of the Bible is not accurate. Well, then it'd be very hard to stand on the Word of God as being accurate if, if you could find one uh, you know, false statement in it or one contradiction in it. Uh, it's the same kind of thing with God. If, if God could lie, then we really couldn't trust anything that he wrote, right? Um, and I think, I think all of us probably would like believe that God can't lie, but sometimes lying is not just, you know, telling something that's completely false, but, uh, Exaggerating the truth, right, is also a kind of lying. You could you could uh, over embellish something, or or um, you know you could purposely omit something. Uh, those are all uh, different ways of lying, and God cannot lie. And so, when we read the Bible, there's so many things in the Bible that seem almost unbelievable, and we'll look at some of those things today. But there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that just seems like, you know, how could this be true? But as a student of the Bible, we, we have to take it literally until until we can't take it literally. And we'll look at a few examples of that uh, today, too. But pretty much all of us use exaggeration to some degree when we tell stories, right? I mean, your story sounds better if you exaggerate the, you know, I, I think of, like, people who fish. I don't like to fish, but, you know, the fish was this big, you know, and you look at a picture of it and it's like this big, but... You know, we try and embellish the story to make it sound better because if you tell people you caught a fish that was this big, nobody really cares. But if you caught a fish that was this big, people, you know, are more interested in your story. And so, you know, sometimes we exaggerate stories or we, um, you know, over embellish things to make it sound better than it is. But the Bible doesn't do that. I mean, the Bible does not exaggerate the stories. The stories themselves are already uh, pretty remarkable and, like I said, somewhat unbelievable sometimes. And so think about just some of the stories that you know. I mean, you don't have to know the whole Bible to know some unbelievable stories. I mean, God created everything in the entire world in six days, right? Everything in the universe in six days. Uh, that's that's amazing by itself. We kind of take that for granted because we're like, well, yeah, God's God's God. He can do whatever. And, of course, God created the world in six days because that's what it says in Genesis. But if you think about that, I mean, all of the work... I mean, every place in the world, every element of what exists in the world, uh, God created in six days. Um, God sent a worldwide flood, right? He covered the entire earth in water. Um, science is still trying to figure out. Uh, I was just watching a couple of videos last night about just talking about the effects of what would happen if the entire world was covered in water. I mean, all the way up to the top of the highest mountain being covered in water, right? That's, I mean, that's... That's not just, okay, everyone's dead. I mean, yes, every everything and everyone died except for who was on the ark and, of course, the fish and stuff in the sea that can live in the water. But, uh, you know, all everything died, yeah, but just think about the impact that all that water has. I mean, we can't, we can't go very far underwater now, even with the technology we have. We still can't get, like, to the bottom of the ocean. But it was that high above the earth, right? I mean, it covered everything on the entire earth. That's a pretty crazy story. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 21. Hmm. Somebody read Genesis 21 verse 5. 
Okay, most people don't live to be 100 years old nowadays, right? I mean, if you live to 100, you're in pretty rare company. Uh, but Abraham was 100 years old when he had a son. What? You know a person that's 104? Who? Oh, really? Okay. So not very many people live to be that, that old. Some people do. Uh, I've got... I've got a grandpa who will be 92 in February. Brenda's grandma will be 90 in February as well. Um, but to live to 100 is a pretty good thing, pretty like impressive feat now. But to have a child at 100, I mean, that's, that's impressive, right? Just that by itself uh, sounds unbelievable. It's like, well, maybe they recorded it wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe later on people are like, yeah, my, my dad was 100 when I was born. You know, I mean, you know, it could have been embellished, but we're going to take the Bible literally because, uh, you know, God can't lie. Um, Brian's been going through the first part of uh, the book of Exodus talking about the the plagues on Israel or on, not on Israel, the plagues on Egypt to free the Israelites and if you just think about some of the things you know, God is able to you know, put this plague of locusts or boils or flies or frogs or whatever the, the plague is but I think like four out of the ten plagues affected everyone and then the rest of them or maybe it was the first three, I can't remember. The first three or four affected everyone. Um, but then after that, just just the nation of Egypt was impacted, right? So like Brian's been talking about that, like the plague of boils just happened to the Egyptian people's cows, not the Israelite cows who were in the field right next to it. They didn't get it, right? They only affected the, the Egyptian cows. Well, I mean, how does that work? How does God, you know, only let this uh, plague impact certain cows or certain people or you know the flies are only in certain people's house but not in the israelites house um those kinds of things right that those are that's kind of a weird um story turn to judges chapter uh 15 i like the uh kind of impressive like warrior type stories so if you read anything about david's mighty men uh like in I think it's in Second Samuel or First Kings. Uh, if you read about David's mighty men, uh, he's got some really impressive feats there. But this one uh, is a guy named Samson. Somebody read. Um, somebody read fifteen and six. Judges fifteen, fifteen and sixteen. Judges fifteen, fifteen and sixteen. Somebody read those two verses, yeah. And he found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said that the jawbone of an ass, the jawbone of an ass, upon peace with the jaw of an ass, have I signed Okay, I like to watch action movies, fighting movies, stuff like that, when these guys are just fighting like. An unending amounts of bad guys, you know, they're just they like just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. Samson killed a thousand guys with the jawbone of an ass. That just doesn't even seem possible, right? I mean, did they attack him one at a time? I mean, if you're like the seven hundredth guy, don't you just say let's just all go attack him at the same time? Surely he can't fight us all. It seems like a thousand guys. Somebody would figure out along the way, or he would get tired, or something would happen, right, that would allow, you know, him to finally be taken captive or killed. 
But it says he killed a thousand guys with the jawbone of an ass. There's another story of a guy named Shamgar that killed 600 men at one time with a an ox goad. Huh? Did you say ox goad? Yeah. Uh, if, yeah, if you've been in Mighty Warriors, I think Mitch likes that story. He tells it because Shamgar is like one of his favorite guys in the Bible. Um, anyways, there's a lot of like super impressive stories. There's stories of guys killing giants. Of course, we know David and Goliath, David killing uh, a giant. But there's a lot of other guys in the Bible who killed giants. Yeah, David fighting a bear and a lion. I mean, with a sling. Uh, I've wa- I saw this video of this hiker that had to fight off a bear like this. It was like a black bear. And uh, he basically was just like kind of kicking it away with his foot and the bear kind of slid down this little hill and kept coming back up and attacking him. And he kept kicking him off. He's screaming at this bear, trying to like scare him away, basically. But uh, to kill a bear with a slingshot, that's pretty impressive. I didn't even list that one on here. There's, I mean, you could, li- you could talk about these forever, but, uh, you know, Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale and then got spit out on a dry land. That seems weird, right? It seems like, I don't know. How does that happen? How does... How is he having a conversation with God while he's in the belly of a whale? God sends a whale, swallows this one guy, keeps him alive, or maybe not alive. Uh, but anyways, he comes back to life, or stayed alive, however you want to look at it. Uh, spit back out on the dry land. Uh, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel has a couple of crazy stories in it. There's Daniel in the lion's den, which is in the book of Daniel, uh, which we're not going to look at, but... Uh, then there's another story here of uh, these three guys that get thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3. Uh, so you guys probably know most of the story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Basically, they were told to bow down and worship this uh, idol. And these three guys said, we're not going to do that. And uh, verse chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, verse uh, 19. So after they said, we're not going to do it, uh, in verse 18. Then in verse 19, then when Nebuchadnezzar was... Or then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace uh, one heat the furnace one seven times more than it than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the uh, the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished when he er, and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire then answered or they answered and said unto the the king true O king he answered and said lo i see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt and the form of the fourth is like the son of god okay so the fire is so hot that the guys who throw them into the fire get burned up while they're trying to put these guys in the fire but these guys are and they're put in their bound they got all these clothes on them you would think the clothes at least would burn up but no god protects them, their clothes. Uh, there's the fourth figure, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, you know, miraculous, right? I mean, that's an unbelievable story. If if you were to try to tell that story outside of the Bible, it would be like, no way. That, there's no way that that happened. 
Right? Uh, there's tons of stuff, miracles that Jesus did. I mean, there's people raised from the dead by Jesus, by other people. There's Old Testament and New Testament. There's stories of people being risen from the dead. Um, you know, Jesus is feeding 5,000 people, or 5,000 men, with just a couple loaves and fishes. People are walking on water, right? Peter, Peter walked on water. Jesus walked on water. Uh, there's just endless and endless, uh, amounts of these kind of stories that if, if they weren't in the Bible, you would just assume that they were stories to teach us something, right? We can learn something from this story of, of these three men in the fiery furnace. Even if it wasn't true, we could still learn from that, right? Like, follow God, trust God, you know, don't bow down to false idols. God's going to protect you, you know, but it's a lot more impactful when you know that the story actually happened, that, that, that is a literal, uh, historical account of a story that happened, uh, to these three guys in real life. And, uh, of course the, like the most amazing or impressive thing that, uh, I think we take for granted is if you think about God created us, right? God created mankind. And the fact that he contained himself, he contained uh, his son, who was all God, in the body of a, of a man, right? That, that by itself, putting, God putting himself into uh, the body of a human is miraculous. We just take it for granted because we're like, well, yeah, he came and he was born and he died and uh, all of those things. But God, the, the majesty of God, the, the amazing you know, person of God being contained in a human in a human body and living on earth and and dying and then raising again from the dead i mean that that is you know obviously for us that's the most important story in the bible um but that's a pretty impressive thing for god to be able to uh contain himself in a human body in, in something that he created uh is just it's amazing look at uh look at second peter chapter one We've used this verse before, I think, maybe even in this study. Who wrote the book of Second Peter? Peter. Peter, yeah, good job. Uh, so Peter is writing this story, or not this story, this verse. Somebody read chapter one, Second Peter one, verse sixteen. Somebody, huh? Hallie just read the last verse. Plus, her Bible's closed. Claire. Claire's got it. Okay, so Peter's telling us, "Hey, uh, we did not follow cunningly devised fables, like well-crafted stories. We did not. We're not. We're not." following that we're not asking you to follow that i was peter saying i was an eyewitness to the majesty of jesus christ i was there with him right i walked on the water i was there when he fed the five thousand i was there when he raised lazarus from the dead i was there when he died on the cross i was there and i saw his body resurrected like he's telling he's telling us i i saw all of these things right these are not well-crafted stories that are are designed to teach us something uh these are stories that are real i'm an eyewitness peter's saying um, so, you know, obviously we can learn things from the stories in the Bible. Uh, we can learn truths from them. We can learn applicational things from these stories, regardless of whether or not they were true. But 
if any of them were proved to be false, that would that would be a very difficult thing for us to then continue believing that any of it was true, right? If if somebody could prove any of it was false, uh, then then it would call into question all of it. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter thirteen. Getting you guys a workout today and flipping. So there are some times where we should not take the Bible literally, right? Where there are some times where uh, I mean, the, our, our default should be the things that we're reading are true, historical, accurate. Take them literally. Um, but there are some times when we the Bible tells us when we shouldn't do that. So Matthew chapter th- 13, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Okay, so Jesus uses parables a lot. You guys have heard the word parables. Uh, a parable is like uh, a story, right? It's an untrue story. or not. It's not an untrue story, but it's a... Um, you know, a story that has been made up in order to convey a truth. So uh, Jesus uses parables a lot, and he uses them for a couple different reasons. But uh, one is to kind of, uh, you know, test people to like see how serious they are, or to see, uh, you know, he'll he'll say he'll say something. His disciples are there, and then you know, a mixed multitude of people are there, and he'll 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 teach a truth through this story. So this story of the sower, or he'll use the story of uh, the parable of the fig tree, or he'll use the parable of the talents, which we talked about at camp. Uh, he'll use these different parables to teach a truth. And sometimes the people will pick up on it, and sometimes they won't. Sometimes his disciples will come to him afterwards and be like, uh, Jesus, what did you? What were you talking about? What did you mean whenever you said this and this and this? And he's like, come on, guys, you should know this. When I tell you this story, this is what, I'm t- this is what I meant. Uh, but if you fast forward to uh, verse 10 of this chapter, uh, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And then verse 11, it says, He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he who uh, have more, abu- uh, sorry, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Um, I'll stop there. But, you know, Jesus is telling them, like, hey, these are things that, these are truths that should be understand. But these people have, have you know, dulled their hearing. They've, they've dulled their hearts to be able to understand what I'm saying. But you guys should be able to pick up on this, right? He's telling his disciples, you guys should be able to understand the truths that are being taught. Uh, and then somet- sometimes he'll actually lay it out very specifically for him. You know, the parable of the sower. Okay, the the seed is the word of God. And sometimes it lands on this kind of soil. Sometimes, And so he'll lay out those those truths sometimes. Uh, and then sometimes he just leaves it with the parable and we're, we're supposed to gain from that. 
uh, what we're supposed to gain from that. But uh, the word parable is used 32 times in the Gospels. Jesus uses parables over and over. Sometimes those, some of those are repeats of, of other books uh, where the same story was told. But uh, go to John chapter 3. There's a kind of a famous passage when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. This is another good example of uh, when to not take the Bible literally. Should you call them? Oh, great. Good thing you drove your car. All right, John chapter 3, verse 1. There was, a, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot, ent- cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Okay, so Nicodemus is trying to take God's word literally. Jesus says we've got to be born again. How can we be born again? Can I enter again into my mother's womb? Uh, no, of course not. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. Okay, so there's some times like that where God uses a, but where he uses a story or a picture uh, in order to teach us a truth. Uh, but the Bible is very clear on those times. Like, hey, this is an analogy. This is a picture. This is a parable of something. Um, last one I'll have you turn to is in Job 41. You guys are probably familiar with the term uh, simile. You guys know what similes are? I know you haven't been in English class for the last couple of months, but what's a simile? What's a simile, Bianca? It's when you compare something to something else. Yes, that is almost exactly a textbook definition. Uh, Job chapter 41, verse 24 says, His heart is as firm as a stone, yet, uh, or sorry, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. Okay, his heart's not actually as hard as a stone, right? If your heart was physically actually hard as a stone, you would be dead. Uh, the, I mean, the Bible's full of them. You look at the word as in the Bible or like, they're in there like hundreds and hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. Uh, so the Bible uses this kind of stuff a lot. The book of Proverbs is, uh, has a lot of these kinds of things in it. So, you know, when there's, when there's a, a clear, like, using like or as, there's a clear um, example of something. Okay, we're not going to take that literally. This guy's heart was not like a stone, but... Uh, or sorry, it was like a stone, but it was not a stone. Those are similes. Those are you know ways that that God can use something to teach us something. Uh, but our default should be to approach the Bible um, with a li- with a literal interpretation, right? Until the Bible tells us that it's not a literal interpret or not a literal uh, story. You know, if it uses like or as, or Jesus says this is a parable or something like that or jesus says well yeah not born again physically from your mom but be born of water from your mom and be born of the spirit okay when the bible explains itself like that um obviously we can we can know that we're not taking those things literally but but our default approach to the bible should be to to take it literally and the more you read the bible the more you come across some some crazy stories or some things that seem almost unbelievable uh Maybe sometimes the more difficult that is, especially when it's 
you know, when you see an example of God using somebody who's just like a normal person and he uses them to do something miraculous, uh, sometimes that can be scary because it's like, well, I'm just a normal person. And if God can do this, you know, amazing thing with this normal person, uh, maybe God could use me to do something like that. And so it can be uh, sometimes scary to take the Bible literally because it means uh, that God could actually do something miraculous in your life, just like he did with some of these other people in the Bible. Uh, most of the people that God uses in the Bible were not, you know, famous, well-off, uh, rich, you know, special people in some way. Most of the people that God used were shepherds, right? They were farmers. They were, uh, you know, just some some kid, some teenager. Uh, there's a lot of times where God uses people like that in the Bible. And so when we take the Bible literally and we, we believe what it says... Uh, you know, God can do miraculous things through us. God can do miraculous things through you. And so sometimes that can be uh, a scary way to approach the Bible, but uh, the Bible, you know, begs that we take it literally because if all the stuff in the Bible is just stories and we don't take it literally and who knows if it actually happened or not, uh, you know, then it calls into question uh, other things in the Bible like, can I know that I'm saved? And uh, can I know that I can't lose my salvation? Those kinds of things. So we have to take the Bible literally. Otherwise, you know, anything can be called into question. So does anybody have any questions about that? We have seven minutes left. Are we going to be done early? Yes. Okay. No questions. Hallie says no questions. All right. Well, let's pray then and uh, wrap it up.